Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Jay. Uh, can we just pray? Is that all right? Can we just start with prayer? Lord, we just pray today, God, that your word would take root in our heart today, Father. God, we just ask that the things of our lives would uh, respond to heaven as they speak to us, Father, and that we would just be different when we leave this place. Lord, in fact, we, we come here knowing that we need to be different. And Lord, we just ask that today we would leave different. Amen. You know, this week I was, uh, actually for the last couple of weeks, I've been really thinking about, you know, uh, the message by, you know, Dad's been talking about what it means to be a disciple, which has been really good. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. If, if you want to, if you want to have a different outlook on life and be, as being a Christian and living like a Christian, uh, where, where you, you really should go back and look at this. And, and last week, Laura had a really good message on, on praise and the power of praise and, uh, and, and how it, how, how we can change our attitude and, and I just said, Lord, the last couple of weeks, I, I've really been praying and meditating on those things, those Christian living things, uh, how, to be, how to live like God wants us to, amen? Because I think that's important. I think sometimes we, we try to be good people, but yet we fail in our own, in our own endeavors, amen? And so I said, Lord, help, help, me to, help me to explain to the church today, uh, you know, a principle I've been, I've been camping on in Luke 9. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke 9. We're going we're gonna to stay in that chapter today, uh, and we're really going to talk about what's on my heart. Amen? So uh, Christian living, living like God wants us to. Today we'll, we'll title this, the, 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 the message, The Crowd or the Cross, Two, two basic uh, differences in Christianity. Are you the crowd or will you follow the cross? And so Luke 9, 1 through 6, if we could throw up the scripture there, I'm just going to read that real quick. We're, we're not going to read all of Luke 9, but we're going to jump around. So be patient with me uh, as we read. Uh, but Luke 9, it starts with this. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority all over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Boy, that's really small. Sorry, folks. I'm looking up at the, that's really small. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Uh, departing, uh, they, departing, they begin going through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Quite amazing, actually. That is the example for us. And so I want to start with, you know, uh, Dav always talks about us being sent ones. Here in the context, we've got really 12, uh, 12 disciples that were sent ones. These 12 disciples, uh, they, they lived and ate and, 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 and spent time with the Lord. And he, and he said to them, okay, now, now it's your turn, right? You know me, you know what I do. And so he empowered them and anointed them to go out and do the same things that he did. They were sent ones. It really is an example of what we have in the church today. Now, I will, I will say this. They had some advantages to us. Now, we have hindsight, so we know the end, amen? So that's really cool. They didn't understand that. But at the time, they had three things that I think were really important. Number one was relationship. They had a relationship with the Lord. 
Now, when I say relationship, I mean, they literally could touch him. I mean, they literally sat with him, uh, did the most trivial things with him, probably, you know, shared socks, right? They didn't wear socks back then, but you know what I'm saying? Very, very close relationship with the Lord. That, that, was the, uh, that is what in a relationship is, really like a family relationship, right? You eat, dine, and everything together, you share good, bad, or indifferent. They had that advantage to us. That relationship, they knew, they, they knew Jesus, and they knew him, and man, that would change you. I mean, it, honestly, if I could walk with the Lord like that, I think I would be a different person. It, it's, quite, it's quite extraordinary, some of us today uh, struggle with our relationship with the Lord. Like, like we serve him out of convenience. We serve him when it's convenient for us and we serve him, you know, when we think about it. They didn't have that example. They were with him 24 seven. So they always were prepared and they knew what his expectations were. So the second thing they had was really exposure. Could you click the slides there, buddy? They had exposure exposure to me is really, they knew what he did. And so they knew the authority that he gave them. They were exposed to him, right? I mean, uh, we, we often talk about, well, I was exposed to a, the flu, so I caught it. Well, well, it's kind of the same thing. If you hang out, my, my mommy always told me, if I hang out with bad people, I will catch the bad but if I hang out with influential people that do good, guess what? I'm going to catch the good. I've learned that in business, that if I want to excel in business, I hang around people who excel at business. I like being friends with Dr. Dav. He's way smarter than me, and I learn a ton from him all the time. And so I would recommend if you, if you want to be better in life, hang around people. Coincidentally, that's why we come to church, right? To develop relationships for people or with people that can help us be better Christians. And so they had that exposure to Christ. They had the exposure of the 12 and they had the exposure of Jesus Christ himself. Pretty powerful things, right? Um, the last thing they had was experience. And, you know, experience is one of them things that, you know, if I only knew what I knew now back then, I wouldn't have made those crazy mistakes. Well, th- it was kind of the same thing for him. Uh, they were, but however, they were already able to experience all that Christ offered. So they, when they were sent out, they knew all there was. So it was different for them. If, if I'm sitting with the Lord and I watch him do water to wine and he tells me I can do the same thing, I'm like, well, great, let's, let's make some wine, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly how he would think. So, so really the disciples had the advantage of relationship exposure and experience. Now, uh, <laughs> experience is one of them things though, however, where it's not like, you know, I'm, I have experience, so I don't need to do that anymore right? That's how we take it in the church sometimes is we're like, I'm more mature now and I don't need to be a crazy person anymore. When I was a new Christian, I was nuts and told everybody about Jesus. Now I'm just more mellow. It's not that, right? I don't think that that's the, that's the approach that the disciples took because it says here they went out everywhere, cast out demons and healed everywhere they went. So they didn't stop sharing. And in fact, they got better at it. So those three things really are, I, I believe what Luke is talking about, and we'll, we'll talk about more. So I wanted to highlight that because it really comes into play with what we're going to talk about in just a moment. And so let's go now to Luke 9, 18 through 20. Really, it's really the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about today. 
And it happened that while he was praying alone, Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man may suffer or must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. So the disciples go out, and I'm just going to kind of paint a picture here. They go out and they heal and deliver everybody, right, with his authority. And now we see them coming back. And we skipped over something which is probably important. Uh, we, we, the disciples come back and they debrief with God. They say, okay, Jesus, here's what happened. And they tell the story. And while they're doing that, uh, a crowd starts to form. They're on their way to, do, to, to go back to, and, and a crowd starts to form. And they said, Lord, there's a crowd out there. So he goes out and speaks to them, right? And he comes back and says, now, now go feed them. And they said, well, Lord, we only got, you know, five loaves, fishes, bread. You got to know the story. He feeds the 5,000. And we're not going to talk about, that's a miracle all on its own. But I do want to talk about something that I call the crowd, or I, I like to call the mob. It's the mob mentality. So the crowd is, is quite substantial. I, has anybody ever been in a crowd of 5,000 people? It's, it's a lot of people. And to say, here, here be fed, and these folks are divided into little groups, and they are fed, uh, and, 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 they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they've been spiritually fed, and now they're physically fed, and then they move on, right? That's what the Bible says. What I don't understand is... And what saddens me is that none of these 5,000 people actually stopped and said, hey, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I just saw an amazing feat. And, I, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of overwhelmed today. If I take it and apply it to current context, I want to say that the church has become a bit of a fangirl. Now, now when, some of you may not know what that means, but a fan girl or boy is someone who sees a famous person and goes, Woo! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And they're so overwhelmed by that person's majestic, whatever it is. Like someone said, oh, that's a Kardashian thing. I don't even know who that is. But my son said, Well, that's a, that's a really famous people, a group of women and people, and some dude had a sex change. So. All I know is the Kardashians are big in our society and there's lots of stuff going on, but that's what it means to be a fangirl. And so they really are like, oh my gosh, we were at Disneyland one time with the kids when they were young and uh, we're in line. We've been waiting in line for 45 minutes to see that Splash Mountain dealio. And all of a sudden, like 12 security guards come up and they're like, move aside, move aside. And I'm like, well, why? Because I've been standing here for 45 minutes. Well, (laughs) Mr. Hanks is coming by. So Tom Hanks came by. And my wife was wigging out, man. She was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She was freaking out. And I'm like, and here's me going, no, no, he needs to get back in the line. I've been waiting here for 45 minutes. But, but, the, but see, I, I tell that funny story and sorry, babe. The, the church is a bit of a fangirl today. We, we know about all that Christ has done. We've seen miracles in our own lives. And yet we go home. 
I, I don't quite understand that concept because all I know is I want more of him every day. And I'm not saying that's everybody in this room because this is heritage, right? We don't do that. But the church is a bit of a fangirl. We are enamored with Jesus, but we're not enamored enough to sacrifice and follow him. You see, the crowd was in love with the excitement, <laughs> but not the commitment. It takes, it takes sacrifice to be a Christian. It's a big commitment to be good at it. I don't want to be just a fan of the Lord. I don't want to someday stand before the Father at Judgment Day and he's like, wow, you were a big fan. I mean, it's all good about where your team colors on Sunday. That's going to be fun. I do it too. But I don't want to do that to Jesus. I don't want to follow him when it's convenient. And today the church is all about convenience and social norms. We're more aware of what's going out there than we are aware of what's going on in here. We're more aware about being politically correct and being sensitive to everybody's needs. And we're not telling the truth and we water down the gospel every day. You do it, I do it, we all do it. And we've got to stop it. I don't want to be a fangirl. The crowd followed Jesus saw one of the greatest miracles that ever happened, and they went home. I don't quite understand that. The most important question that Christ ever asked was what we just read. Here's where I want to be, and here's where I want to focus on. Jesus asked his disciples two basic questions. The first one was, who does the crowd say that I am? And in verse 7, you can read how Herod kills John the Baptist and was saying, hey, uh, I've killed him, but is, who is this Jesus fellow, right? Who's this guy? And, and they said, well, the crowd says you're exactly what Herod said. You're, you're like John the Baptist, maybe, reincarnated, or you're a great prophet, or you're Elijah sent back. That's who the crowd thinks you are. Now, the crowd doesn't have a relationship with the Father, right? They don't have relationship exposure or experience. Well, they have experience, but they don't have a relationship, right? And I think that's the main difference here. And so he says, well, the crowd says you're this and says, great. Now he asks a question that I literally, I actually talked to Dr. Dev about it because I was like, I don't understand this question. Why would he ask the disciples, who do you say that I am? These are the 12 individuals that followed him around, gave up everything and just left it to go follow him. They traveled from town to town with him. They went everywhere that he went. They saw everything that he saw. They probably talked at nauseum about everything that happened. And he asked them an interesting question. Who do you say that I am? Now, I got to be honest, I was really, really crushed by this question as I started to ask myself, all right, Jay, who do you say that Christ is to you? You see, I think the important question is, Keep going, Luke. I think the important question is, who do you say that I am is really who is Christ to you? Who is he to you? And then what effects does he have on your life? See, we have these disciples that had this wonderful effect of experience and exposure and relationship, and they were changed forever, and they went out and they changed the world. They were world changers. 
Now we have the same thing. We have the opportunity to have the same relationship, the same exposure, and the same experience and hindsight of history. We know that Christ wins in the end, and we know that we have all the victory and all the power, and yet we don't even know how to answer this basic question. Who is Christ to me? If he's the deliverer, then you will stop worrying about the things that happen to you because that's who Christ says he is. If he's your healer and you're sick, then listen up. He is going to heal you. We have to believe that because that's the example he set with the disciples. The Bible says earlier that everywhere he went, he healed everybody in the town. I am blown away by that statement. He didn't heal those that had enough faith. He didn't heal those that were not sick enough, that maybe didn't come. I don't know if they went door to door, beating on the door and said, are you sick? Come hear this guy. But they did. Everywhere he went, everyone was healed. That's what the Lord has for us in Christian living. That's the life he called us to be. So who do you say that I am? Who is Christ to me? He's a deliverer. He's a healer. He's my redeemer. He's the one that saves me when I'm in trouble. He's the one that is always there when I need him. And that's who Christ is to me. It's really the question is the most essential question that we could ever ask ourselves. And I'll tell you what, if you're sitting in bed or you're sitting in your chair and you're thinking about Christ, you need to ask yourself this question because it'll challenge everything that you believe. Because if I believe who he says he is, then my world will be different. Completely transformed. Different. You see, it was here that Jesus Jesus specifically was calling out the difference between religion and relationship. Right? Right? Religion says, hey, uh, the religion says, pray, but only if you have enough faith will you be healed. Religion says, "Uh, you're only a Christian if you're good enough and didn't do X, Y, and Z. Religion says, hey, uh, you can, if you come to church on Sundays, you can act however you want Monday through, uh, Monday through Saturday, and you can still come and repent at the altar and be okay. That's religion. None of those is not necessarily, well, all of them are incorrect, but if you believe that, I'm sorry, but that's not right. God has grace for you beyond grace and unmeasurable grace. And as a Christian, the one thing, the one thing we can guarantee is if you are a Christian for more than a day, you will be different. And you may not be this way today, but in a year you'll be different than you are today. And in a year from that, you'll be even more different. And as you, as you keep pressing into relationship, exposure, and experience, your life will be completely transformed. Now, the disciples, there were like two and a half years with Jesus before they were sent out like this. So I say, if you've been a Christian more than two and a half years, you're ready for some action, right? You're ready because you have exposure, relationship, and experience with Jesus. And that's how it's supposed to be. So this question, honestly, I, I sat and I thought about, I've been thinking about this for weeks and it just rocked me. It, it challenges me and it should challenge you. Who is Christ to me? It really comes down to this. What position have I given him in my life? Now, when I say position, I mean, is, oh boy, is work more important than church? And it's not necessarily church, but your relationship. And what I mean is, and, I, and this is where I've had some, the Lord has challenged me that I get up early and I go to work. Now, I get up in just enough time to eat, take a shower, and get there on time. 
But the Lord has said to me lately, hey, dude, get up and spend some time with me. Now, I'll be honest, I usually pray through that whole time. It's just how I do it. But I'm not necessarily setting aside specific time for God. So challenging me this last year has been to surrender that time, watch less Netflix, surf you know, social media less, and spend more time with him. And that is really the position I want to give him in my life. You see, I can spend five minutes with any one of you in this room and ask you, what are you into? What do you like? What do you like to do? And in five minutes, I can tell you where your priorities land. If your priorities land with the Lord, you're going to always talk about them. You're always going to be thinking about them. Not always. You might be hungry and that's okay. (laughs) But what I mean is when I talk to somebody, especially dudes, they'd be like, oh, my job is this and I did this and I did this and I did that. They find their identity in that thing. Their identity should be found in Christ. So we should be walking around thinking about all that Christ has for us and all that we can do for him and all that he's done for us. And we don't technically do that all the time. And that's what the disciples did though. That's the pattern that we see in the early church is everywhere they went, everywhere they did, everything they did, they were consumed with the Lord. And they had the results that we see because of the relationship exposure and experience. It was a traumatic event. It was a very big thing. It was a very big deal. I believe that living with your priorities straight will change you. I believe that if you struggle with something today and you make a decision to get your priorities straight, you probably won't struggle with it in a year from now because your priorities will be consumed with serving and seeking the Lord. And in that place, in that quiet place, your life changes the secret place, the time at the altar, the time with the Lord really changes who you are. Let's throw up Luke 9, 23 to 27. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake He is the one who will save it. For what a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death even till they see the kingdom of God. So, quite a bit of scripture here. And, you know, I, I, I want to kind of talk about this concept that he talks about denying yourself. You see, to live like the disciples and experience and spo- exposure and relationship, we must deny ourselves of things. Now, society says if you're a Christian, you have to deny yourself of X, Y, and Z, right? You have to be perfect. Uh, You have to never cuss when you're mad. You have to never get angry. You have to be a saint and wear a robe. And that's what society will tell you. No, they do. They, they, oh, you're, you're a Christian. How could you do that? Well, hello, we're human, right? But to, but, but see, here's what, here's what he was saying. Here's what he was saying. We must deny ourselves of ourself. So to deny yourself something means you really want something else. You see what I'm saying? If you really want to go watch the football game and I'm causing you to be late, you're going to be focused on the football game. But if you deny yourself of watching the football game, the Lord might just do something fantastic today. So it's, 
well, that's trivial. Y- yeah, it's very trivial, but that's the principle he's trying to teach. In verse 23, it says, and he said to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So the, the person who desires to be Jesus's disciple can only truly be said to follow him when he has made a radical decision to deny himself. You must deny yourself in radical fashion in order to follow him. The verb here in the text denotes, it functions as the polar opposite of the verb confess, which has the sense of acknowledging a thing or a person. It's really saying we should on one hand confess Christ, acknowledging him and identifying ourselves with him, but on the other hand, we must deny ourselves. We live for him holy and we live for ourselves less. We must deny everything that the world has to offer. And we must steward our identity with him. That's what he's saying. Confess Christ and deny ourselves. The difference for me is when I became a Christian, I could close my eyes in my bed and lay there with no guilt. I had no shame. I had no, I had no feeling that I was less and I had lack. I didn't feel the darkness around my soul. I used to close my eyes before I became a Christian and I could actually feel the darkness in my heart. I could actually feel the weight of the world pinned against me. I was dark and depressed and sad all the time. When I became a Christian, I was the opposite of that. I was happy. I felt joy. I wasn't always perfect, but I felt like God, his grace always gave me just enough to be the person that he called me to be. I was completely transformed. The reason I woke before I became a Christian every morning was to gratify the sinful natures of the world and to provide for my family. That was my two goals. I would work like crazy. I worked 15, 20 hours a day. And in the three or four hours I had, I would either sleep or drink. That was my life. After I became a Christian, I woke up and I was completely transformed. I still struggled with things, but I woke up every morning and I denied myself of my earthly desires just because I knew what was over the horizon. That I knew that if I just pushed forward and I had a relationship with him, if I knew that that relationship and I I spent more time on my knees, I would become less so he could become more in my life. And that is what changed me. That relationship consumed me. You see, I carried my cross daily. It's not, listen, some of you walk around, how's it going? I'm okay. (laughs) It's like Eeyore. I, I I have, I have people that I work with that act like that, and I feel like they're sucking the very life out of me as we're talking. It's so horrible. Listen, I, if you don't want to know how someone's doing, don't ask him that question. Say, hey, give me five. Have a good day. But when you say how you're doing, as Christians, we say, I'm great. I'm redeemed. Man, carrying my cross daily is not Eeyore. Carrying my cross daily is joy. There's satisfaction and gratitude in it. We're not carrying burdens. We're carrying the release of everything that the cross represents. It's what he has for us. 
Some of us like to be disciples on Sunday and carry our cross, but Monday through Saturday, we just ignore it. It's not there. We, don't under, we, we put it in the closet. I have a pair of shoes that I, I rarely wear, and they're boots. Now, remember those old boots like Justin Timberlake's? Remember those? I bought them like in the 90s, right? I did, and they're, they're cool. They're heavy. I know they're coming back. I, can, I won't wear them again. I'm not that hip. But they have these shoelaces that just extend and go crazy. And so they're like ropes. And I, every time I tie them, they come undone. So I get tired of wearing them because they're annoying and they're heavy. It, it, I'm gonk, gonk, gonk. I feel like I'm like lifting a million pounds as I walk. But here's the deal. When I wanted to be cool, I wore them. I was cool. I had cool boots, Timberlakes, yeah. But, but 99% of the time I threw them in the corner and they frustrated me. I've had them in my garage for probably 15 years now. I found them. I'm like, well, there's my boots. And I never wear them, but I only bring them out or used to when I wanted to be cool. Some of us are just like that in the church. We come to church and we want to be cool. So we dress up, we say hello and hallelujah, and we raise our hands and we do these things. And then the boots are hard and they're heavy. You see, being a Christian out there is not easy. It requires sacrifice. It requires commitment to dedication to him. And it requires your priorities being straight. And if they're not, you're going to kick your heavy boots into the corner. They're heavy. They're hard. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It's all about perspective and attitude. I could bring those boots out and I could own those things and they'd still be heavy. But as a Christian, if we own Christ, they don't, it's not heavy. He makes our burdens light and his yoke is easy. And it makes it easy for us to serve him, but our priorities have to be straight. You see, if you have heavy boots and you like to bring them on Sunday, kick them off before you come to church because things will be a lot better. They will, I promise you. We must give up everything we think we should do and surrender to the love of the Lord. We must surrender our lives to him because you won't regret it, I guarantee you this. Carry your cross daily. The question for us is, what are you willing to give up for Christ? Now, most of you, as I look through the room, are are churched and Christian, and that's fantastic. But I ask you this, what are you willing to give up for Christ? If I could tell you that you could have a smidge more time, if I could give you 20 minutes with Jesus, would you take it? If I said, okay, I have a raffle, and I'm going to raffle a ticket off, and everybody, whoever wins is going to get, Jesus is going to come down here, and you're going to get 20 minutes to ask him anything you want. Would you do it? How much money would you pay for that? You you give up everything, wouldn't you? Because you, oh my gosh, I get to spend time with Jesus. It's that's kind of like Christianity every day, folks. The raffle is happening all the time. All you have to do is spend time with him. Close your eyes, pray to our Heavenly Father, and you get to have a moment with Jesus. And that is what will change you. So, what are you willing to give up to have that moment? to have that raffle with him. Are you willing to give up your mornings before you get up or your morning coffee? Are you willing to give up your Netflix? And are you willing to give up all those things? What are you willing to give up for him? That's the real question here. You see, it's a one-way trip. And here is what they knew. When Jesus was talking about carrying your cross, everyone in the audience already knew what he was talking about. Here's why. In those days, if you were convicted of murder, if you were convicted of a crime, murder, you were crucified on a cross, right? And what happened was from the jail to the place they put the cross, you would have a one piece of the cross that they'd have to carry through the town. 
And when you saw a guy or gal doing this, you knew that they were on their way to death. That, that, was, a, that was a social thing of culture back then. They just knew, oh, that guy's dead. <laughs> yeah, there goes another one. He got what he deserved, right? Oh my word, that guy's going to his grave and there's no saving him. And he would carry that cross to the other part of the cross and he'd be crucified there and it was a death sentence. What the Lord is actually saying, folks, is that to carry your cross daily is a death sentence to you. You die to yourself to live for him. If you don't die to your own ambitions and desires and, 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 and wills every day, what you're actually doing is you're denying the fact that it was ever a one-way trip. You know, I, I, in business, we do these things called ride-alongs. And if I go into a car and, and I sit next to an associate who's in the field and I spend, I, te- I typically will go out in the field and spend a, an hour or two or a whole day with someone and we vi- visit customers and we do different things. The first thing they go is, well, why are you here? That's the first thing they ask me. Why are you here? I'm like, well, why? What's the matter? Well, I have to be in my best behavior, they told me. <sighs> okay. All right. So, well, let's just do what you normally do. And they're like, and it's, it's actually quite comical because we'll get in the car and they'll be like, okay, now I'm supposed to, and they get out the manual and they try to do this. And I'll go, look, what do you normally do? Let's just do that. We, I'm just here to talk. But see, the, the, the funny part is whenever your boss or whenever someone important comes to the room, we're all in our best behavior, right? As Christians, we should always be aware that the Lord is always near. And I'm not talking about, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble. But guess what? If I'm the boss, my expectations are pretty high. And as the boss, I want my people to perform well and I want them to do good in the field and take care of our business. As a Christian, the Lord just wants us to do well. He wants us to serve him with everything that we have. We shouldn't be on our best behavior. We should die to ourselves. You, have you ever seen a person on death row go, okay, I'm, I'm dead. You know what? Time out. I don't think this is right. I don't want to do that. I'm leaving. See you later. And they, they, they can't escape it, can they? There's been chance. They can't escape it. It's a one-way trip. There's no going back. That's what that whole song is. No, no turning back, right? You, you, you sacrifice it all. There's only a one-way trip as a Christian. To be a real Christian, to be changed, we stop what we're doing, we make an about face, and we're dead to ourselves. We live for him, and that's it. Nothing else matters. It's a one-way trip. You see, here's the thing. It's totally worth it. (laughs) It's totally worth it, guys. If you don't know the Lord today, or maybe you're not serving him like you should, I guarantee you won't regret it. You'll never regret it. Because it's going to be hard. You might have those 10-pound boots sometimes, but for the most part, it's going to be a one-way trip. And guess what? It's worth it. Because when I stand before the Lord, he's not going to say I was a fangirl. He's going to say, well, well done, thou faithful servant. And that's really what we want from him is to say, well done. And it's not about what we do. It's about who we serve and the priority that we put in his life. And we put God in our life. He has to be first in our life. The three things we come back to, relationship, exposure, and experience. That's what the disciples knew and had. They knew when Christ said, who do you say that I am? He was everything, and they knew it was a one-way road. They're, they gave up everything to follow him, and that's the, that's the kind of relationship we have to have with him. Our relationship uh, with God uh, must be everything. 
has to be central to our lives. If it's not, guess what? You're the crowd. You're not following Christ. Your relationship should be the first thing you wake up and go to bed with. If you want exposure, all you have to do is spend some time at your, kneeling at your feet, praying to Jesus. Be around people who actually know how to follow Christ. Listen, some of you older saints, you need to just grab onto some of the younger saints and take them to dinner. I know you're on fixed income, but it's important. Teach them how to live like Christians. It's not about what you wear. You shouldn't worry about what people act like or do when they're baby Christians. But when they're not baby Christians, we should worry and think about what you act like because that makes me nervous. If you've been a Christian for more than five years and you're still acting like a hoodlum, we need to have a conversation. It's true. The relationship is not today. Listen, guys, come up and play, will you? I'm just telling you it's worth it. Most of you already know this. Serving Christ is the most important thing that you'll ever do. Today, we had people come up at the altar and we prayed for you. And we said, hey, because of, the res- because of Christ's death on the cross, he paid for everything. The relationship that Christ has for you is so worth it. Are you aware of what he can do for you? You see, they knew, the disciples knew what he did. And so they knew the authority that he gave him. Would you like to experience the authority of Christ too? The disciples were able to experience all that Christ offered. If you would like to accept Christ as your personal savior today, you can have that too. If you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, or maybe you've been toying with the idea of following him, let me tell you this, it's worth it. You'll never regret the decision. It's hard. It can be frustrating at times. You'll be mocked. You'll be, uh, your friends will not be your friends anymore because you'll make better decisions. You'll, your perspective will change so what used to make you happy won't and you'll start doing other things. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. I'd like to pause in this moment and say, if you don't know the Lord is your savior, today's a perfect day to do that. So if everyone would close their eyes and bow their head, I would say this. All it takes is one moment. One decision can change everything for you. One decision can change the world. And all you have to do is take that first step. So today I would say, with everyone's eyes closed and their heads bowed, if you want to follow the Lord, maybe for the first time or renew your commitment, I'd ask you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Thank you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. This is a time for you to stand up and say, with everything that you have, I want to be different. I'm willing to carry my cross. I'm willing to go on that one-way trip. I'm willing to sacrifice everything so I can be different. Truth is, some people come to their worst places before they get better. Some of that is by design, but why get to that point? If you raise your hand, just repeat after me. Dear Lord, I just ask you to come into my heart and I ask you, Lord, today to be Savior of my entire world. Forgive me of my sins 
and let it begin. I will say to you, churches, everybody, can, you can raise your, you can close your eyes, or raise your eyes or head or whatever it is. I'll tell you this as a church: if you don't know, if you, if you, if you're wondering why you don't experience Christ, it's it's in here. It's our priorities. If you're worried that you don't have the right exposure to Him and you're frustrated with being a Christian, listen, it's easy. Spend more time with Him. Most of us don't read our Bible in this room. Nine out of ten people spend less than 30 minutes reading their Bible. It's sad. And we all nod our heads and we know it, and yet we don't do it. Most of us don't spend more than 20 minutes in prayer statistically through the entire week. That's not me. That's statistics. Matt, don't lie. 20 minutes. You want to change who you are? You want to be, quote unquote, better? Spend more time with the Lord. Your relationships matter. Remember, it's a one-way trip. There's no turning back, amen? The challenge for this week is to go out and Luke 1, change the world. Because guess what? You can do that. That's what Christ has for you in store for us. Not to be relegated to church or doctrine, but to go out and face the the very fabric of this world and change it. That's who we are. And, and we can start by being nice to our spouses and love on our kids some more. But then we can move on to our neighbors. And we can move on to our community. And we can reach out to those who hurt. And I guarantee if you take one step, it will all change. Because God is in the healing and deliverance business. And guess what? He wants to use you to do it. Amen?